Hey everybody, this is Troy, one of the pastors at First Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It is a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And we are committed to join God in the remaking of all things. I pray that this sermon is a blessing and helps you join God today. If we can serve you in any way, we would love to. Please get a hold of us at lafayettenaz.org. Have a great day. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them open to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read a really familiar story for those of you who grew up around the church. If you didn't grow up around the church and you're hearing this for the first time, I'm a little bit envious and a little bit jealous of that because I think it's, it's a beautiful story that tells us the very heart of the good news of the gospel. The very heart of the gospel, I think, is found in these 10 verses that begin Luke chapter 19. Now, here's what's really interesting. I, I keep a record of, of every sermon that I preach. I save it to a database. It's searchable. It's, I can index it. The whole, the whole deal so that when I sense God leading me in a, dire- in a di- particular direction, I can see if I've preached on that ever before. I've been preaching, preaching now since I was 22 years old. I, wanted, I don't want to tell you how many years that is, but it, it keeps getting more and keeps growing to be more. And, um, you know, I've, I've preached on this passage, this very popular passage of Scripture only one time, and and never here, which is shocking to me. Can't believe it, but I'm excited about it. All right, Luke chapter 19, I'm going to begin reading uh, with verse 1. I know you just sat down, but I really do like to show honor to the Word of God. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning? Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. And a man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors was rich, and he was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass along that way. And when Jesus came up to that spot, he looked up, and he said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, and he was happy to welcome Jesus. And everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped, and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, I will repay them four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this household, because he too is a son of Abraham. Because the human one, or the son of man, came to seek and save the lost. I want that last verse to be up there for a minute, because I want the power of God's Holy Spirit to help that verse to linger in our minds so that maybe it can make its way to our hearts 
and hopefully will cause us to do something with our hands. Hear this, church. This is why Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost. You can be seated this morning. It's the word of the Lord. All right, this story, this story begins with curiosity. Begins with curiosity. Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector and who was described in Luke chapter 19 as being rich. So Zacchaeus, a very rich and a wealthy tax collector, heard that there was this person named Jesus who was walking down the path and there was a crowd of people who were traveling along with him and he had heard about this Jesus, about the miracles he had performed And about the way he had healed people and the powerful teaching that he had delivered. He heard about all of that. And so he was curious. It started, the story started with curiosity. And as a tax collector, you need to know Zacchaeus probably didn't spend a lot of time in crowds. He didn't spend a lot of time in crowds. Because nobody in our culture likes the tax man but it's a whole, it was a whole other thing in Jesus' culture. Zacchaeus and most of the people that Jesus ministered to were Jewish. That was not just their religion. That was also their ethnicity. They were Jewish nationalists. They believed that there was a piece, a strip of land that God had given specifically to them. And that was their territory. And at that territory, which God had given to them, they should be free to worship and to be governed by the laws of God as the people of God. So it wasn't just a religion. It was a nationality. It was an ethnicity. And Zacchaeus was Jewish, but he was a tax collector, which meant that He worked for the Romans who had conquered the Jewish people. And he worked for them and was on their payroll. And he got, he got taxes out of the pockets of the Jewish people and delivered that money to Rome. To Rome. So he was a traitor. But Zacchaeus wasn't just any old tax collector. He was a chief tax collector He was really rich, had a good job. So Zacchaeus was someone who didn't spend a lot of time around crowds, but he got curious. And his curiosity led him to take some pretty interesting actions. You know, he had heard of Jesus. He thought, hey, he's powerful. I'm kind of powerful. He's influential. I'd like to be influential. I want to check out what's going on with this guy. Now, here's what you need to know about the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is all about lost things and lost people. So every single one of the Gospels has their particular flavor. Matthew's very interested with Jesus being the Messiah. Mark, everything is urgent and immediate. Luke is all about Jesus the Lord seeking and saving The lost, and it comes to a head in Luke chapter 15. So in Luke chapter 15, we read all of these beautiful stories that Jesus tells about what the kingdom of God is like and how God himself treats things and people that are lost. And the moral of the story is, 
God's going to go after that one lost sheep, even though he has 99 that are safe. And he's going to do everything that he can to find that lost coin. And then it comes to its culmination in that story of the prodigal son. It should be called the lost son or the son who lost his way. And it's this beautiful story of the heart and the love of the father who scans the horizon constantly for his kids. Once he sees them, runs out to meet them, welcomes them home. It's all about lost people. And immediately we get to Luke chapter 19 and we meet somebody else who's lost. And it's Zacchaeus. He's lost. He might not realize it, but he's lost. And I think his curiosity teaches us something here. When we're lost sometimes through circumstances or things that happen in our life, somehow we wake up one day and we realize we're lost. We're lost. And once we realize that, we're interested in anyone or anything that can help us find our way back home. Anyone or anything that can, that can bring us home, that can deliver us home, because, because we just had this awakening, this, this tiny little awakening one day. I'm lost. I'm lost. And Zacchaeus, for whatever reason, got curious. And his curiosity started to bubble up in his heart. And he realized, maybe this guy's got something for me. But he had a problem. His problem is that he was short. He was short. And if you're a short person who's ever been in a crowd, like let's say at a concert where there's like lawn seating, you know, nobody's sitting down, everybody's standing. Or you're at a sporting event where everyone is standing and it's hard for you to see the field. If, if you're someone who is, is short offensive these days, height challenged, is height challenged? a better, a better, a more positive sort of a word. You know this feeling. Like, you were the one who, when you were a child, was hoisted up onto people's shoulders. And when I say a child, I mean 16. Like, just so that you can, you can get a view of what's going on. And, and sometimes I think we miss the humor of the Bible. This is, this is a funny story. It's a story of this powerful guy who's rich, who wants to see Jesus, like really, really, really wants to see Jesus, but he's wee. He's wee, you know, what's that Sunday school song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Wee, what a word. But wee is a word that describes pretty correctly who Zacchaeus was. And so, you know, if he tried to be in the crowds and tried to see Jesus, like people would just kind of flick him away, you know, like he was a little gnat get out of here, get out of here. He couldn't, he couldn't, but he found a way. He climbed up a tree. He climbed up a tree. Now that's, that's funny. When's the last time you've seen a grown man, a rich, wealthy, powerful person climbing up a tree at a public event so that they can get a good look? at somebody. 
and be like, I don't know if you watch like sporting events on television, maybe like at Lucas Oil Stadium for the Indianapolis Colts back in the day, you know, when Peyton Manning would be walking through the tunnel and all of those kids are like hanging off the side of the stadium with like a shirt or a hat or a football looking for Peyton to sign their things. Um, and I mean, when you're a child, all that kind of behavior is really acceptable. But, but like what happened if like, you would see a crowd shot there at, at Lucas Oil Stadium, and it's like the mayor of Indianapolis, you know? The mayor of Indianapolis, like, hanging over with, like, his gear, looking to get Peyton Manning to sign his stuff. Like, it, it doesn't happen. Or, like, let's say that you go to Mackey, and, um, you know, the, all, the, all the young kids are there, and, man, I'm still grieving the loss of Carson Edwards. But last year, they were like, hey, Carson, sign every piece of my body, and... What, what would it be like if Mitch Daniels, the president of Purdue University, was like hanging off the side, you know, shirt exposed so that Carson, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And that's the humor in this story is here you have this man of significance doing this childlike stuff trying to get to Jesus. And we know how difficult it is for us to swallow our pride like that. Men and women combined in the room now. Swallowing pride is easy for a lot of us. We're not doing that in public. We're not even going to do it in private. I mean, it's been years since we actually kneeled to pray. Because we're just not doing that. We're not humbling ourselves like that. And we're certainly not going to be one of those crazy people who when we gather to worship, we like actually lift hands. We're not going to do that because, because how humiliating. We have more pride than that. But here's what's true. Often in our lives, the biggest hurdle, the biggest challenge in our journey to, G- to Jesus is pride. It's dignity. We don't want to be the person who's thought of like that. So we're not going to do that stuff it gets in the way. But Zacchaeus must have realized he was so lost that he became so desperate that he was willing to get rid of that barrier. And so he climbed that tree and he looked childish. And he was probably hoping that no one would notice him. That the traveling caravan would walk through the town And he'd be able to get a look at this thing from a distance. But no one would see that he was was like that. But Jesus sees them. And he stops that caravan. And he looks up at the tree. And he draws everyone's attention up to the tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, he calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. And Zacchaeus must have been thinking, oh, he knows my name. But then he also must have been thinking, oh, he called me out in front of this whole crowd. But Jesus doesn't just say, hey, get out of that tree. He also says, come down immediately. I have to stay at your house. I have to stay at your house. And I imagine everyone that day looking up at Zacchaeus, maybe like Zacchaeus <laughs> holding on to some big limb or something, like he's a six-year-old. 
hanging out in a tree, just looking like a kid, just a wee little man up there. And, and looking at Jesus as Jesus says to him, I have to stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus probably thought in his heart, I just wanted to get a glimpse of you. And now you're coming over to my house. And here's what's really interesting. The only time in all of scripture, the only time where Jesus invites himself over to someone else's house unprompted is right here in this story. This only happens once, and it happens here. Jesus invites himself over, and it's right now. I have to come stay at your house today. And what's surprising or shocking in this story is that Zacchaeus welcomes him. He welcomes him. But look at what the crowd does. The crowd starts to mutter. So people see that Jesus is choosing Zacchaeus' house out of everybody's house, and they start to mutter about it. And they say, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, just a trick for you whenever you're reading the Bible. If you start to read the Bible or you're reading a Bible story and the Bible story is specific to mention that religious people begin to groan or complain or mutter, something good's really going to happen. Like something interesting is about to happen. In fact, still today, when religious people groan and mutter and complain, that's when the good stuff is going on. That's like how it's always been. That's how it will always be. When people who have become used to God start to get their feathers ruffled by the actions of God, that's when the really good stuff is about to happen. And they start to think in their heads, I cannot believe he's going to his house. His. And here's why. Of everybody else's house, to choose. Jesus chose the home of the chief tax collector. Everyone knew in that crowd who Zacchaeus was, and everyone would have despised him. I can't believe he picked him. What are you doing, Jesus? They're mad at him for being willing to be associated with someone like that. And here's what it is. It's still true today. We really believe that when Jesus says he has come to seek and to save the lost, we really believe in that mission. And so we want to go find people who have been oppressed. We want to go find people who are broken Because that's what we recognize Jesus doing throughout Scripture. And we we believe those words to be true, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And we imagine the lost to be people who are broken and people who are oppressed and people who have been hurt. But here's what we often don't imagine. That the lost also includes people who are doing the breaking. That the lost 
also includes people who are doing the oppressing. That the lost also includes people who are doing the hurting. And so we're okay when Jesus shows up in the lives of people who are broken. We're, we're okay when people shows up in the lives of people who are hurting. We are, we are okay, we're certainly okay when Jesus shows up in the lives of people who are oppressed. Or at least I hope we are. If we're not, then let's check our levels of compassion. But we struggle We struggle to imagine that Jesus in a crowd full of people who have been hurt and broken by this one person, we struggle to imagine that Jesus would go to the one who's done all of it and say, I got to go to your place. I have to stay at your house. And here's the scandal of the gospel. The scandal of the gospel is that Jesus shows him mercy too. That Jesus freely gives mercy to all people and all people includes him to he shows this guy this hated tax collector mercy and what happens next is that Jesus ends up being the one who takes the scorn of the crowd they already hate Zacchaeus but now they start to now they start to hate Jesus too Jesus absorbs that scorn and he directs it onto himself they hate the tax collector now That scorn moves and shifts, and Jesus is the one who absorbs it. Listen, anytime you read Scripture, here's what you constantly find, that Jesus is consistently moving to the place of hurt in order to observe that, absorb that hurt, so that he can set the people who have been hurt free from that hurt. And there's no other way to do it than unless somebody takes it. Hurt has to go somewhere. It has to be placed on someone. And Jesus is consistently making himself available to be the one who takes it all. If he takes it all in. So Jesus pushes himself in this story to the boundary. And the boundary is he takes on the pain of the one who has given out the pain. He shows mercy to an oppressor. He's saying, this guy's lost too. This person is lost too. And by lost, I don't mean forgotten. I mean that he is loved and I want him to be found. I want him to be saved. So Jesus goes to be the guest of that kind of sinner. That kind of sinner. And what happens next is repentance and restitution. Repentance and restitution. Now, in the church, I think we understand repentance. Repentance means to turn around, that we were heading in one direction with our life, that life was leading us, that way of life was leading us into brokenness. When we repent, We turn around and change the direction, change the way of our heart and of our life. We we understand repentance, but we really don't ever talk about restitution. We don't talk about it. Restitution is making the wrongs in our way of life right. It's righting the wrongs of our way. So Zacchaeus is so deeply changed by the mercy that Jesus has shown to him by coming to his house, that Jesus, that, that, that Zacchaeus says, I repent and I will make it right. 
if I have cheated anyone out of anything. And that's what he says, and that statement assumes that he has. He knows that he has. He's repenting, but not just repenting, it's restitution. He wants to make it right. So he says to Jesus, I'll give half. Everything that I have, I'm going to give half away. And giving half away under Jewish law is way more than generous. It's insane. It's insane. No one did that. You just don't do that. I mean, you can be generous. Generosity is encouraged. You can give away a percentage. But if you give away half of everything, that's crazy. But that's what Zacchaeus does. So moved by the mercy of Jesus, he says, half everything I own. Not just half of the money that I have in savings. Not just half of the money that's in my checking account. Everything I own. I'm cutting it in half. And I'm giving it to the poor. And then I'm going to pay back four times the amount for the extortion that I've caused. Which is double the penalty. And when you extort by law, you had to pay back twice. Zacchaeus says, I'll do this four times. I'll put myself under double penalty. Here's the point. When Zacchaeus lets Jesus into his home, he lets him all the way into his home. All the way in to the deepest parts of his life, the stuff he had done, the deepest wrongs that he had committed, where the deepest healing needs to take place, that's where Zacchaeus let Jesus go. And when Jesus gets to that spot, when Jesus finds his way to the place of the most brokenness in Zacchaeus' life, then and only then is Zacchaeus free. Then and only then is Zacchaeus saved. And then Jesus uses this word here, and I love it. When Zacchaeus says, I give it all, I'm, you can have half. I'm going to make it right. Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house. Meaning, not just into his home, but into his life. Like, Zacchaeus today is showing signs of being reborn regenerated, a new heart, a new life. Salvation, Jesus says, has come to this house. And what are the signs of salvation? Look at them. Where there's salvation happening in our lives, when the saving power of Jesus gets a hold of us, there becomes this financial promiscuity. This financial promiscuity. Like, we're just promiscuous with our money. We get so close to the generous mercy of God that God transforms us and makes us like him, makes us generous. And it's like we can't keep our our wallets in our our pockets. It's like, no, I've got to give. No, 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 I I just have. I've experienced this overwhelming thing. I've got to do something. If you see someone in your life and that person becomes financially promiscuous, in your heart and in your mind, you're thinking to yourself, wow, something has changed. Something has happened. 
And that's what happened to Zacchaeus. He becomes free. He becomes set free. And so he says, take my stuff. Take it. I'm free. It doesn't own me anymore. I'm free, and I want to make this right. And that's the second thing, too. When the saving power of Jesus gets a hold of us, there is a need, not a want, a need to make things right, to make it right. You know, we don't, this this isn't what happens. We don't move on from an encounter like that and say, well, that, that thing I did, well, praise the Lord, that's now covered under the blood of Jesus. And you just move on from that wrong. I mean, yeah, it is covered under the blood of Jesus, but, but what we want to happen, what we need to happen, is we want to make right the wrong that we've done. We want to go and say we're sorry. And I'm sorry for what I did to you. I'm sorry for that. I feel like I've done some damage here. And I just really humbly want to ask for your forgiveness. We want to. We need to do that. You know, they might not offer it. They might say, I can't right now. I can't forgive you, not ready yet, or I don't forgive you. They, they just might say no. And that's something that we, we're going to have to seriously, like, bring before the Lord. But there's this change that happens when, when we make it right with God. And when God finds us and gets to the deepest part of our heart where all of the brokenness is and makes that thing right, we not only change the direction of our life, repentance, we also want to make the wrong that we've done as right as we can. We don't want to just repent and say, okay, I'm just going to move on from that and act like it didn't happen. I mean, you're saying that Jesus is just going to like give me a free start. I can forget about all that and just move on. All the damage that I've done, just get on to that, to that happy place. No, we, we want to make it right. We want to make it right. But please, hear me out. You have to understand this. Understand the order of grace and this story because this is how the order of grace works in our lives. This is really, really important. Does Zacchaeus say, I'm giving away everything, and then Jesus says, okay, now I'll come over to your house and we can share a meal together? No, that's not how it happens at all. That's not how it happens in this story. That's not really how it happens throughout the course of Scripture. Jesus is the one who says, I want to come to your house. And at that moment, Zacchaeus hasn't even really repented He's still the tax collector hanging out in the tree to get a look at who this Jesus guy is. Jesus is the one who makes that first move and says, I am going to associate myself fully and identify myself fully with this broken and lost person. Zacchaeus hasn't prayed that prayer of repentance yet. He hasn't changed the course of his life. Jesus says before Zacchaeus does any of that, I want to come to your house. And that's a challenge for us because the evangelical thing is to say we have to first invite Jesus into our life. But what happens in this story is Jesus first invites himself into Zacchaeus' life. And Zacchaeus doesn't go, hey, Jesus, would you come and stay with me? I'm going to, if you will, I'll invite you into my heart. Jesus says, I'm coming over. 
I'm coming over. And Zacchaeus says, says yes. And Jesus doesn't say, if you clean up your life and, and stop extorting and cheating, then I'll come over. Zacchaeus is the one who is found. And Jesus finds him. And that's what's going on in this story. That Jesus says, despite your sin and despite your past and despite even your present, I choose you and I want to be with you. That's the grace, the mercy, the heart of our Father to seek and to save the lost. And so Jesus goes after him and it changes him. And so he repents. And after, uh, after he repents, he wants, to make it, he wants to make it right. He wants to make it right. So here's what I want you to hear this morning, church. God has searched for you. He's searching for you. He will always make the first move towards you. Even when you didn't initiate it, nor did you think you were ready, you have a God who will seek and search you out, and he wants to stay at your place. He wants to be invited into your life, but he's going to make the first move to make himself the one who invites. And so even today, and I want to let that word linger for a moment, today, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, today this needs to happen. Even today, the invitation of God is before us. Can I come in? I want to be invited. I'm inviting myself into your life. And it's a big offer. Because here's, what's ha here's what happens. Once we start to say yes to Jesus, we realize his goodness, and we realize his mercy, and we realize that the way of life he has on offer is so much better than the way of life that we thought was the best way of life in this world. We see the way of beauty and love, and grace, and mercy, and truth, and generosity. And we spend enough time hanging out with Jesus once he invites himself into our house. Pretty soon, we turn, and we repent. And there's many of you in this room this morning that are contemplating that first move. You're contemplating, you recognize the goodness and the love of God has made its way into your life. And you are you notice and, 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 and are aware of the invitation of Jesus to get even closer to you. And you're contemplating that first saying, yes. And can I encourage you? You will never regret it. Ever. Ever. You'll never regret saying yes to Jesus. This won't be some sort of thing where you're like, I tried it. And it left me wanting. If you come to know the beauty of the love of God in its purest form, it's like you've been found and you've found your way home. And you'll never regret it. And so can I encourage you, say yes. For others of you, you've repented. And you've changed that way of life. 
But in order for some of the broken things in your life to fully be made right, you need to make right some of your wrongs. And that's, that's really scary. That's really scary. It's hard to imagine going to someone in some shape or form and saying, I was wrong, and I think I hurt you, and I'm sorry. You make yourself vulnerable, you can be rejected. It's like we talked about last week, you keep your arms out wide open, people can take shots, and you can't defend yourself. And so, my flesh in this moment wants to let you off the hook. And wants to say, it's okay. Maybe you don't have to. But the powerful beauty of the word of God says this. Today. Today. This is what salvation looks like. It looks like repentance. And it looks like restitution. So whatever that looks like for us this morning. Whatever that looks like for you, my, my call and my invitation, my challenges, as best as you can, make it right. And if the other person isn't ready for it to be made right, okay, you made that offer. Make it right because you've been set free. You've been so healed by the grace of God, so freed by his love, that you're now free to offer to the world the righteousness of God. Make it right. And when you do, what I think ends up happening is what happened to Zacchaeus. Mercy is experienced. Grace is given. And more than that, it's the love of Jesus that is witnessed too.